Great job, TNT. Thank you. So we have a reading this morning from the Boston Globe and it's a story um, about Sarah Silverman, the, comic, the com uh, comedian. This is what the story said completely word for word. And Megan is going to help me. Sarah Silverman's comedy, the story says, is body and brawny and often takes a sharp turn to the vulgar to make a point. She shocks us with off-color jokes and gags and seems like a person who would not back down from a fight. So when a man on Twitter responded to one of her tweets using a profane term for a female private part, her fans might have expected her to return fire and fury. Instead, she wrote a series of sympathetic and compassionate tweets that the man said changed his life. Silverman then rallied her Twitter followers to help the man get the medical assistance he needed for his hurt back. After his one-word tweet to her, which cannot be reprinted in a family newspaper, she responded, I believe in you. I read your timeline and I see what you're doing and your rage is thinly veiled pain. But you know that. I know this feeling. P.S. My back sucks too. See what happens when you choose love? I see it in you. The man, Jeremy, a Twitter user in San Antonio, replied by opening up to Silverman about his problems. It was a few days after Christmas. And here's what Jeremy wrote. Sarah, I can't choose love. A man that resembles Kevin Spacey took that away from me when I was eight. I can't find peace if I couldn't find that guy who ripped my body and who stripped my innocence. I would kill him. He tore me up and I'm poor so it's hard to get help, Jeremy wrote. Silverman empathized and suggested he try out a support group. And then she said, I want to kill him too, so I can't imagine your rage. All I know is this rage, and even if you could kill him, it's punishing yourself. And you don't deserve punishment, Jeremy. You deserve support. Go to one of these support groups. You might find your best bros there. He told her that he is antisocial and does not trust people and does not have any friends. But he said he would try a support group, and then he apologized for trolling her. And then Sarah responded. Dude, I don't care. I'm fine. I see something in you. My gut tells me you could have a great life. My shrink says we don't get what we want. We get what we think we deserve. I'm telling you, you deserve so much more than you know. And then Jeremy responds, LOL, how? And what do you see? I'm just confused how you can see that I can do better. I have multiple problems and a big hole to crawl out of, and usually I choose not to express it, or it's hard to articulate my emotions. Welcome to the human race, Frando. You're not alone. After a few more exchanges, Jeremy told her he's actually a big fan and thinks she's funny. He explained more about his back problem and described his pain. Silverman put out a call to her followers to see whether anyone might step up to help. Plenty of people did. A few days later, she followed up. Jeremy went for a consult, and it's worse than we hoped. If you're so inclined, help get him on his feet and working again. He's in San Antonio if you're an actual expert that can help with your skills. And then Jeremy, after this message, started a GoFundMe campaign to get, he needed $150. That's all I needed to help uh, him with the doctor's fees because he had no insurance. 
And as of this story's publishing, it was, he raised $1,774. He is now tweeting about gratitude and humanity. Here was his last message. Thank you to all the support financially, emotionally, and the donations. There is more than I could have wished for. Thank you for Nico Organics. I received your package and I'm excited to try the products out, a little product placement. <laughs> Thank you, everyone. You showed me a lot within just a very few days. I love you all, Jeremy. The story ends by saying Silverman, again, has shocked her fans. Amen. Here is our beautiful and broken world. There is Bon for you and for me. Let us keep our hearts tender to the touch and keep our eyes soft to the scene. Because what shows up around us as conceit or bad manners or bullying is often a sign of things no eyes have seen and no ears have heard. And so we learn again and again and again how there is no answer but to love each other. And because that is so very difficult, we gather here in this community to practice being the person that we say we want to be. We cannot do everything, but we can do something, and that something, my friends, is never nothing. So let us forget our perfect offering there is a crack in everything, say with me. That is how the light gets in. Billy was like clockwork. At 3.05, Sister Antonio would ring the wooden-handled bell over the intercom. And then the first and eighth grade girls and boys would pour out of the blue 1970s, 60s actually, paneled two-story box that was Our Lady of Lords. The girls in their green and blue plaid with the thin yellow stripe dresses and the boys with our blue pants and tucked in scratchy white shirts the boys who had hit their growth spurt earlier that year easily marked by the white faded crease where their moms had let down the cuff to make the pants last just one more year. In a sea of uniforms, any variance in outfit was how it was decided who was cool and who was not, who was in and who was out. And nothing did that in Our Lady of Lords like the shoes, which by regulation, I think the word was it had to be dressy, which um, we suburban St. Louis kids translated as preppy, which meant that even in that Midwestern city so far from sailboats and lobsters and Cape Cod, everyone who was cool just had to have the brown, beautiful L.L. Bean boat deck shoes. You know which ones I'm talking about? <laughs> but not Billy. Because even though he had a bright lights and big city name, Vegas name, 
Billy Diamond. <laughs> Billy Diamond. Billy, like clockwork, strutted out of that prison box of a school every afternoon, and he yanked the tails of his shirt out of his pants, and he flipped up his collar, and he checked the laces of his black, big-soled, Buster Brown day trippers, And he slung his backpack over his left shoulder. For those of you who were young, that was cool back then. And Billy put on his pout. And he began his 1.2-mile march back home. Billy was one grade ahead of me. His brother, Joe, was two more. And unlike so many of us who had been in that school since kindergarten, Billy and Joe were transplants, arriving only the year before which meant that despite the school being Catholic and all of us learning day after day after day about Jesus, welcoming the stranger and the Good Samaritan and all that, Billy and Joe were made to feel like outsiders and interlopers at every turn, an identity that Billy in particular seemed to embrace, he ramping up the ire especially during recess when he would swipe the big red ball we used for Foursquare and he would bounce it over the chain link fence that circled the rectory. What a jerk. <laughs> now as a church community, we have been learning about how to stand up as an upstander to behavior that hurts us and hurts others. But back then, I was best, my friends, at being a bystander. Having learned from a family that had its fair share of conflict, the skills I did, the skills I had of conflict avoidance and peacemaking and people pleasing and not rocking the boat. Maybe I'm not alone here. So when Billy would swipe the ball, I would bystand, or actually I would downstand, if that's a word, and I would keep the anger inside, bottled up and pushed down and boiling which has a way of turning a person into something like a shaken up two liter bottle of soda that is just ready to explode. Maybe, again, I am not alone here, am I? But here was the problem. My friends, I could not ignore Billy. I tried, I really tried. But Billy was hard to ignore because his 1.2 mile march home was exactly the same as mine. He living on Pershing Boulevard and me on Waterman Avenue, which is only one block away. I can't remember exactly when the taunting began that year. All I remember was trying to keep, I think it was five driveways behind him. I would count. But because I was the oldest and was in charge of ushering home Anna, my sister three years younger, and who was young enough then to put exuberance before caution and eagerness before restraint, which is why children are our teachers, Anna would always run ahead of me, and she was squealing and bouncing and jumping and darting the way that second graders do. Her black hair falling out of the ponytail and wisps across her brown cheeks and brown black eyes. She, and I'm not yet aware, that as an adopted little girl from Vietnam, some saw her as different, foreign, alien, unwelcome. 
Hey, Dietering, yelled Billy one day after Anna stepped on the heels of his Buster Browns. How can this be your sister? Because, I yelled back, which wasn't exactly the comeback I was looking for. <laughs> and because bullies can be perceptive, because their vulnerability from which their bullying behavior springs allows them to pick up on the vulnerabilities of others, From that day on, Billy knew that he had me. He was brutal. It didn't matter if I led Anna on a new route or if I waited long after the bell had rung. He always seemed to, to find us and hurl new insults at Anna and me that were so polished, they were so they were delivered with such precision, it almost felt like he had been rehearsing them the night before. And where did the hurt go and the bruises and the rage? Where does yours go? In a culture that at once values niceness, right, mixed with passive-aggressive platforms that allow us to zing our anger without actually confronting the pain that is beneath it, it's easy, it was so easy for me then to put on a face of nice and bury all the boiling bruises down. Maybe it's that way for you. Until, of course, we can't anymore. Dietering yelled Billy from his porch in March. My relief at not having seen him on the walk home suddenly punctured because there he was. Your sister is a... And there in the blank space, you can put in any number of vile, racist words you can imagine. Each sound, my friends, a weaponized vowel a weaponized consonant. And do you know how sometimes how, how your body does something before your brain <laughs> realizes what's happening? Because even before I knew what was happening, I found myself running up the stairs onto Billy's porch. The voices inside my body making noises that I didn't even know my fifth grade body owned. And then there was Billy suddenly jumping into a stance he must have learned in martial arts class. <laughs> Which is an irony I'm getting only now as I preach this, given what he had said about Anna. His right hand swinging back and landing with a thwomp right in the center of my chest. Can you hear it? Can you feel it? It's funny, not as an ha-ha, but as an odd. 
how I've been thinking of Billy this month. As with you, I've heard, I've heard a couple sermons here on the theme of forgiveness and imperfection and giving up our grudges and thought about our monthly theme. And then thinking of Billy as I, as I read about Sarah Silverman's sainted response to Jeremy, the bruising and bullied that Sarah responded to with, with healing beyond the pain of Jeremy's words. Thought of Billy again, let me say it plain, in the ways that I feel bullied with you by the news cycle and trying to explain to my kids, and I know they're teenagers, but why no, Emerson, Ella, you shouldn't speak about people the way the President of the United States does. He's so very often acting the bully in chief. And me thinking of Billy again this month, feeling this old pushing, pulling tension, this um, the anger and the avoiding the conflict or letting it fly in a flurry of fuming words, me remembering that sometimes we are bullied and sometimes, of course, my friends, we are the bully. We are. And thinking of, of Billy, as I, as I roll my eyes at religion, forgetting that I'm a minister that asks me to forgive my enemies, that song that I chose the TNT sang by a band called The Brilliance, but I'm listening to that going, really, really, really? For See my brother and my enemy? Me rolling my eyes in ways that ask me to forgive my enemies and sow love where there is hate and bring peace where there is rage. Because listen, Billy Diamond said hateful racist things about my sister, my beautiful brown-skinned sister, and by the way, so did the president, she coming from one of those S-hole countries. Feeling all of this this month, these, all these things in my life and in your life that ask us to pro, provoke us out into the world with anger and call out for resistance and witness and not acceptance and agreement. And I'm wondering, my friends, how do I become the person I say I want to be and the world needs me to be when the world needs from me and from you so many different things, right? That needs upstanding and also accountability and whatever Sarah did to kind of look beneath the rage to see the pain below it. And I don't know what to do. What are we supposed to do? So what comes next? I know you're wondering, so what happened with Billy? I know. Landed the hand against my chest. And instead of me <laughs> raising my hand or hitting back, I said this. I still remember it clear as day. Billy, that didn't even hurt.
which was a lie. <laughs> and then he said to me, you may not show it, but you are crying inside. Which was true. And clear as day, I remember saying back to him, maybe, but Billy, so are you. And then I walked down the stairs and I took Anna's hand and we went home. I don't know what uh, happened that day. I don't understand it, but I know this. Billy left us alone after that. And then that summer, a for sale sign popped up in his yard. He moving off into his life and me into mine and Anna into hers. I wonder, maybe you wonder, what was going on with Billy on the inside that he acted the way he did on the outside? What wars were going on inside that house or inside him that no eyes saw and no ears heard where his spirit met the bone? Friends, am I supposed to care? Are we supposed to pay attention to the pain that is so often the source of people's painful behavior toward us and the people we love? that so often is the source of the pain and the hurt that we cause someone else, are we supposed to care? Are we? How do we help each other, hold each other accountable to the crying that is happening on the inside is my question. And these questions, they haunt me and they hover over me, which of course tells me they are worth asking. And that is why we are here together, by the way. Because you and I are the bruised. And remember, we are the, the bruisers sometimes. We are the bullied and sometimes we are the bullies. And we come to this space week in, week out, I do, you do, to help each other Forget the artifice that the world asks us to present. And we invite each other to name what is beneath the surface. The joy there and the tears there, the crying there and the laughter there that is on the inside. So that, so that here every week we can say to each other, Peace, my sister, and peace, my brother. Peace, my child. Peace, my minister. Peace, Billy Diamond. Peace, those who bully. Peace to those of us who bully back. Peace, 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 peace. Say it with me. Peace.